This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. I am James here, joined as always by Alex. Yo, what's up? And our guest for today, we have Jacob Ritchie from the Toffee Blues, our friends over at the Toffee Blues. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be on here. I've been listening to you guys for a while, so it's always nice to be able to come on and chat with you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you uh, reaching out and asking to come on the show and uh, excited to chat about all the news of the week. It's been almost, let's see, it's been, what, six days since we last recorded, of course, following the 3-1 victory versus Chelsea. A lot has been made over the last week of the manager, search for the manager, so I think that's the best place for us to start on the day. Firstly, the club came out yesterday or the day before and announced that Duncan Ferguson would remain in charge for the Manchester United match. I think... Overall, this is the right decision. There's no point in rushing to appoint someone. I think the win Saturday afforded the board a bit of time in their search for a manager. And that goes on in the background. A lot of drama, a lot of opinions, whether it's good or bad, about the various rumors that have surfaced. How do, Jacob, we'll start with you. How do you feel about uh, Big Dunk just being in charge further uh, as we go forward in searching for our long term replacement? I think as of now, that's a pretty solid, smart decision. You saw the the sort of cliche manager bounce that Everton got against Chelsea. And I think going forward, they don't obviously want to rush the appointment. They have a lot of names they're juggling around right now. Um, so I think that <laughs> Duncan Ferguson going to Manchester United on Sunday is probably our best chance right now to get something out of that game. Yeah, I think I agree with you. To be honest, it'd be extremely hard to bring a manager in even at the beginning of the week, right? And then have them travel to to Old Trafford for this match on the weekend. Although we did say that about the two previous matches, right? So unfortunately this month, there's not going to be a perfect match for us to find a new manager. However, in my opinion, you know, sometimes we're told no news is the best news, right? Maybe that only pertains to jobs. I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> but nonetheless, right? I think that I would much rather us take it slow and keep Big Dunk for another match or two or three matches than rush an appointment and then end up with another change in 18 months. And that kind of begs the question, right? So there's there were after the game Saturday, people were thinking, okay, you know, obviously the, the visceral reaction that seeing one of your former great players at the helm does for a fan base was was evident. You know, we got that boost, the new manager boost. If Big Dunk goes on a winning streak or even a uh, streak without losing, if we somehow get out of this month with a few victories, maybe one or two losses, but get positive results, the majority positive results, does either of you think that there is a realistic chance that Duncan Ferguson gets the permanent job? Because there have been fans in some corners that have been calling for his long-term appointment. I'm not sure how serious it is, frankly, but I'm interested to hear both of your thoughts. For myself, no. He said himself on several different occasions that even he would probably be appointing somebody with a little bit more experience than himself. But for the club's outlook as a whole, at this very moment, he 
is probably what the fans need going through probably one of the worst stretches that the club has faced in a really long time getting that positive reaction getting a club legend on the touchline for Chelsea and just the pictures of him running and hugging the ball boys and Dominique Calvert-Lewin bagging a brace and saying how much he loves his manager on the touchline I think it's overall a feel good for now and I would keep him at least through the Leicester match but beyond that we probably need to be bringing somebody in sooner rather than later yeah I mean my answer is pretty much close to it I would be okay with him staying on through the rest of the season only if we have a very, very good manager lined up for the summer, right? If it's, if it's calculated, um, obviously these decisions are always calculated. I hate going on Twitter and seeing people talk about how the board have no idea what they're doing just because some random news article said that Rands is not involved. You know, those sort of things really just, I'm not going to rant too hard, but I guess my overarching point is, I'd be okay with him staying for the rest of the season if that meant that, you know, we got someone, a big name in over the summer, someone we really wanted because I'd, I'd hate to bring in someone like boys for the next, you know, five months just to be replaced over the summer, right? Just give Big Dunk the experience and 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 save yourself a little bit of money. But I, I we'll see how it pans out. I, I still think that's highly unlikely too. I think we'll have someone come in in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably a fair assumption. I, I I agree with both of you that, yeah, the feel-good factor for Dunk remains for now, but how, how long of a leash is he given if the results don't continue in the same way that they went on last Saturday? I don't think that he'll be given very long. I think this is very much interim, and, and he said as much himself. So I think we can pretty much bin uh, Duncan Ferguson as the next Everton manager off as uh, very, very unlikely, which then leads us to discussion of potential who could the board potentially appoint? And so the original reports, some of them said Vitor Pereira, who's of course just won the league in China. Um, he has officially removed himself from consideration. He plans on staying there another year. Let's start with the most polarizing and I think probably the most discussion-worthy candidate, who of course, the man who was sacked by Napoli af- somehow after getting them through to the round of 16 of the Champions League, Carlo Ancelotti. So much has been said about whether some people are, are vehemently for him. Some people are strongly against him. He's a very polarizing figure as it pertains to Everton. So let's start with Alex. Alex, Carlo Ancelotti, what do you make of the rumors? And, the, and there have been rumors saying that he is, in fact, interested in coming to England, whether it be for Arsenal or for Everton. What do you make of the do you, are you for Carlo Ancelotti or are you against his appointment? I'm 100% for him, and I will never, ever, ever understand any argument against him. That is the biggest name we could even hope for. I'm excited just to be linked with him, and somehow, some way, social media is is, is allowing me to almost believe that we have a chance. <laughs> but point is, his record speaks for itself. He's a huge name in world football, right? I mean, the, the clubs that he's managed are in a league of their own, really. Um, I want to say that in the last X amount of years, right, he's won, I think, four league titles, which was a discussion, I think, in our Discord group. Maybe it was like in 13 years, it was four league titles. But nonetheless, he's a winner. He's played with, or excuse me, he's managed many different players of different pedigree. And I think that he would be a really great shout. I mean, if you bring in someone like Ancelotti and it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But I'd rather gamble on him than any other name on this list, period. 
Yeah, I think Carlo Ancelotti brings a certain credibility that not many managers in world football can bring. You see him being linked to Everton, and a lot of people say, wow, that would be a step down for him. But I think he might look at it as a sort of a project for himself. He's managed Bayern, Real, PSG. So alone, bringing a manager that big in would change the outlook for a lot of people on where Everton as a club are heading at this point in time. I, I agree with points that you both made. But I also can see the argument against him where there were reports of, and everyone's seen this by now, but the reports of players at Bayern and Real uh, frustrated with the lack of intensity in his training sessions, perhaps thinking that they're a bit outdated. And you know the, the list of teams he's managed, clubs he's managed, speaks for itself. He is one of the most decorated coaches that's currently still active. One of the most successful coaches of all time, won the Champions League three times league titles but at the same time the clubs that he's managed largely with the exception of Milan they've been short stints they haven't really um you know he's come into teams like Chelsea PSG Real teams that are juggernauts in their respective countries and done a, a bit of a maintenance job and and he's won titles but we're not a Real Madrid and I don't think anyone thinks that we are we're not a Bayern Munich we're not a PSG we are a very different prospect entirely and so I think Though he is a proven commodity as a manager and has all the silverware, a, a, a shelf full, all the medals, but does he really fancy himself the project that Everton really need? And is he going to be able to stick around in the long term and really build something? Because the only team he ever really did that for was Milan. And of course, he brought them to, to tremendous heights. But is he really committed to sticking around for a long time, considering the amount that we would have to pay him? to get him in, the salary, all of those considerations, and is he willing to work with the director of football model? I think all those are valid questions. That said, I agree with you, Alex, that if we're going to take a punt on someone, I'd rather take a punt on a Champions League winner rather than maybe some up-and-comer that's really hungry, although you th I think you can make an argument for that as well. Next name on the list, fellow recently sacked Premier League manager Unai Emery. There are reports surfacing today that we have sort of passed on him. But what are both of your thoughts? We'll start with uh, we'll start with Jacob on this one. Thoughts on Unai Emery in at Everton? Um, Unai Emery for me, not my favorite candidate. I mean, he went into Arsenal and did a decent job for a little while, and then it started to come out that a lot of the players there weren't extremely happy with him. He had a little bit of trouble with English, and that's also come out that he said that he probably doesn't want another job in England until he can get that figured out. But for me, him coming off the sacking at Arsenal and then probably wanting to take a little bit of a step back from England, it probably just doesn't seem like great timing for him to come into Everton. Yeah, I could agree with the timing thing. I will say from my perspective, I would still have him over a lot of the other managers mentioned. And that's because if you look back 18 months ago, maybe 24 months ago, when he was at Sevilla, I mean, they won the Europa League three times, back to back to back right? He really turned Sevilla, you know, in my opinion, a squad full of good, but maybe not great, amazing players into a really cohesive winning team. And I think that that's very telling. And I think that that could be replicated at Everton. My, my counterpoint to the issues he had with, at Arsenal, right? Arsenal are a different club, but when we're talking about clubs like Arsenal or, or, you know, Chelsea or Man U or Man City, with all respect to Ever Everton, of course, 
I like to think that Everton does not have nearly as many divas, does not have nearly as many personalities clashing all the time. And so with that, I feel as though maybe the man management piece would be a whole lot easier at Everton than it would be at a place like Arsenal. And if I may also point out at Arsenal, right, I think that their issues over the last couple of years are a little deeper than just their players or their manager. The same could be said for Everton. Yeah, definitely agree with your last point there, Alex. I mean, Emery, again, a manager with a pedigree, and you can't really look at, you know, every manager gets fired eventually. They all have their day where the where their uh, tactics or their strategies or their managerial decisions wear thin and they're eventually let go. So to judge a person on, on when they're sacked, I, I don't think you can always use that as a good indication of how successful they might be at their next job. But I do have some friends that are Arsenal fans and their complaints with Emery are very similar to the complaints that Everton fans had over Marco Silva. Tactical inflexibility being one of the major ones and inability to pick the seemingly most obvious best lineup was another one. And, you know, having watched Arsenal a fair amount, I can say that the relentless insistence on passing it out from the back and trying to play quote unquote expansive football leads to some really, really miserable goals conceded. And I know we did a little bit of that as well, but yeah, I'd be concerned about Unai Emery and his man management. And again, the grasp on English doesn't seem to be the best, so probably not a great fit. And so that will bring us to, let's see, we have two more names on the list and this one might be kind of quick because we have discussed it already and it's been thrown about, but I did want to get kind of Jacob's take since he's kind of new to the fray here on the show. Jacob, what are your thoughts on a potential David Moyes return, whether it's in the short term or for an extended period of time? For me, no, just period, no. I mean, he he's he was at the club a long time, and he did well, and then he left for Man United, and a lot of stuff came out in the press, and it's come out again recently about his dislike for Everton and the Everton fans and now he's come back and tried to say face a little bit I think and saying that he would like to take the job back but I think if he were appointed it's kind of an admittance from the board that the last three four even five years or so have been a complete wash and I think if you do that you kind of throw away this season and then say we are starting all over again in the summer and I don't think we're at a point where we need to start all over again. And I think he's one we could probably steer clear of. I echo those sentiments. I have literally nothing else to add. Yeah, I think you summed it up. Uh, Kevin Morales, I think, summed it up in his quote in an interview a few few weeks ago when he said appointing Moyes would be like going back in time. I think that sums it up perfectly. We can't afford to be backtracking. It needs to be a forward mind, forward-looking mindset from the board. And I think... We need a forward-looking appointment. Brings us to the last name on the list, and I'm guessing that this it's Mikel Arteta, a player who played for Everton before I think any of us were actually fans, but held in high regard, obviously works for Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, so you know that he's been learning a lot under City the last few years, though their performance in the league so far this season uh, has been subpar by their standards. For me, I think Arteta might be the most attractive name just based on the fact you get a former player in who's been under the tutelage of one of the greatest coaches in the modern game. Whether he'd actually come to Everton remains to be seen. Of course, another player who also played for Arsenal, so the links there as well with two clubs in 
you know, with a lot of money looking for a manager, I'd be, I've, I'd have a hard time seeing why he would choose Arsenal or choose Everton over Arsenal if he was offered both positions. But to me, I think he would be a really good appointment. Um, despite the fact that he's, he's largely unproven, but his every report that's come out behind the scenes of Manchester city says that he's loved by the players. He does a great job. And so I, I think he's a really attractive candidate personally. Um, I can see why the hesitation is there, but Alex, what are your thoughts? I think he's an attractive candidate for sure. We all, you know, everyone loves a love story in terms of an old player returning, just like we have big dunk on the, on the uh, touchline in terms of experience. I mean, I think at the end of the day, to be honest, this might sound kind of odd, but I, I do trust brands and the board, ideally with brands, brands' sentiment involved or, or discussed to choose the right manager. And so I think sometimes we have to take everything into context. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say that we appoint Mikel Arteta, which it feels like a long shot, but let's just say hypothetically we do appoint him. That doesn't mean to the fan base, wow, we chose Mikel Arteta over everyone. What that should mean to the fan base is we chose Mikel Arteta over anyone interested, anyone possible. And so what I'm alluding to is, you know, I would like him. I I would not be too upset. However, I'd prefer them to go for one of the first two names that we discussed before they went for Mikel Arteta. For for me personally, when Marco Silva was first sacked, Mikel Arteta was top of the list, first candidate. I absolutely love the idea of having him. Former player, he's been under Pep Guardiola in the Champions League, multiple league titles at City. He hasn't coached yet, and I think that is a big hang-up for a lot of people. And if I was a betting man, I'd say it's either him or Ancelotti for Arsenal and Everton. If we were to hire him, and like you said, I think it's a long shot anyway, but if we did, I think he could be really successful. But also there's a risk factor there where he hasn't managed on a on a big stage yet. And I think that that would be a big sort of Hail Mary by the board on Mikel Arteta if they were to bring him in. I think that that's fair from both of you. For me, it's just like there's no perfect candidate. There's no uh, manager available that's won the Premier League multiple times as experienced in the league, has shown to be a good man manager with no no downside. There's going to be a risk with anyone that we appoint. Like Ancelotti, you have the – is he available for the long term? Are his standards, are his coaching standards up to par? you know, Arteta, the unproven factor, there's, there's going to be red flags for almost everyone because there's just no ideal candidate that immediately, you know, brings himself to mind. But with that said, I, I do think that the board will, will bide their time as long as they possibly can, as long as big dunk can continue to keep the team playing in a cohesive manner and continue to hopefully get results. Like, well, I plan on, you know, my hopes are getting up already for Sunday, but I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself. But that does segue nicely into our Manchester United preview. Of course, Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Skolshar are fifth in the table right now. They're like, what, seven points above us at the moment. So they're having an all right season. I know that, you know, that just like any other fan base, Manchester United fans have their gripes with Ollie, but he's done a really good job considering, you know, the departures that they've had and they've got some really dangerous players. They've had a couple obviously big name signings and Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Harry Maguire to bolster their defense in the summer. And 
they're doing all right in their last six games. They've beat City and they've beat Spurs. They've also drawn against Sheffield United and Aston Villa. So kind of an up and down season for them. But again, sitting in fifth place, hard to argue with that at this juncture. So um, the first thing that we wanted to highlight, and this was brought up by our friend on Discord, on our Discord server, join the Discord if you haven't already, Cryptus posted an article, which is from 2007. So these are probably not 100% accurate, but it is the pitch sizes. And I think this is an, a really interesting point that maybe American fans don't realize that there's no like standard pitch size for soccer, like the depending on the size of the ground and the pitch sizes can vary dramatically, which is uh, emphasized here. This stat kind of blew my mind and I know it kind of shocked Alex as well. Old Trafford is the pitch is 800 square yards larger than Goodison Park. 8,816 square yards versus at Goodison, 8,066. 800 square yards is a lot of space. Is that going to affect our ability to press the ball and, you know, kind of play the in-your-face style that we saw against Chelsea last Saturday? And I'll throw it to Alex first. So, yeah, I'll go on record. Since you called me out, James, I was very surprised. Um, However, just to clarify a point, there... It's not, you can't make a football pitch that's 50 square yards. Like there's a range essentially is what I found in my research right. in terms of, in terms of if that affects us, I think more space is okay. I think it really affects you when you're playing at a pitch like Goodison Park. If we're talking about Man City or I mean, excuse me, Man U at Goodison, I think it would affect them more to downsize. I know specifically if we're talking about as an example, major league soccer, uh, NYCFC play in Yankee Stadium, and their pitch is significantly smaller than the rest of the pitches in MLS. And I heard an interview a couple of years ago in which one of the coaches was talking about how that that is that is a, a huge struggle, and they practiced in smaller spaces on their training pitch to be ready for less space. I think, yes, I think really the only point to be made, which you kind of already made it, James, would be it'll be harder to press just in terms of space covered and, or, or being effective at pressing. Let me say that. But in terms of the space itself, I think it's only a positive going forward in terms of like literally attacking, like going forward with the ball. And I will be the first to admit, I had no idea the pitch variance was that big in England, but I will say that watching MLS consistently that NYCFC's pitch is probably one of the weirder ones in the entire world. It seems like every team that goes there has fits trying to attack them. And historically, we're pretty not great at Old Trafford as it is. So I don't think that's going to be something that is a huge factor on the game as a whole. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too big of a factor. My, my only point, I guess, would be watching. I did catch a good amount of the uh, Manchester United game versus Manchester City. And their counterattack looked absolutely lethal. Um, and worth noting that Manchester City is actually the only pitch in England uh, in the top flight that's larger than Old Trafford. But um, just the point that, you know, City or United rather can attack with pace. They have a really strong counterattack. They're not very big, but Rashford up front, Martial, those players can, can counterattack with a lot of pace. And I'm just concerned that considering how we ran ourselves ragged on Saturday, course we've had a full week to recuperate and recover but just that extra ground will we be able to cover it efficiently and will we leave spaces in behind when we try to press that Manchester United will exploit um, of course Manchester United did play in the Europa League today they won 4-0 versus AZ Alkmaar 
Um, and some notable players that played today that uh, we'll see if they're able to, you know, kick on and play on Sunday as well. Harry Maguire, Matic, Juan Mata, Anthony Martial. I'd expect most of them will play, but it'll be interesting to see. Of course, that gives us a little bit of a boost because it does play a role in uh, what Skullshar will be able to do as far as lineup selection. Yeah, absolutely. It's not even it's not even about actually the just the performance against um, AZ Alkmaar in the, in the Europa League today, Thursday. Furthermore, their last two matches, they beat City and Spurs 2-1, right? And, and then uh, slightly further back in their, in their results, they drew Sheffield, United, and Villa. So they're on a really good run of form. I mean, make no mistake about it. I think part of that really is attributed to they're playing Rashford on the left flank. So he's got pace to burn, and he gets to cut in on his right foot, essentially in the same mold as Richie, but naturally faster. I think that's going to be one of our biggest dangers. He did not feature against AZ Alkmaar in the, in the Europa League. And so, in my opinion, he's going to be fresh legs and he's going to be their biggest threat. Yeah, and I think you have to be a little bit concerned also with his pace, considering the injuries that seem to be mounting up on the back line. Duncan Ferguson came out and said, Luka Dean's not 100%. Yuri Mina's still not 100% there. Fabian Delph probably won't feature again, so... If Leighton Baines were to start on Sunday, that could give us fits on the wing. Yeah, no question. They're going to have a lot of pace, and they're going to they're going to look to counterattack. I think you know. Th- actually, I, I'd be. It's going to be really interesting to see how the possession game plays out because Duncan Ferguson has had now a week to kind of implement any kind of tactics or strategy that he may have had in mind. Of course, for the Chelsea game, he had one training session, so there wasn't really any time to do anything substantial. We reverted back to basics, the 4-4-2. And of course, it, it paid dividends, but the possession was kind of staggering where when you concede 70% of the possession to your opponents, you're just naturally on defense most of the time and you're going to have to run a lot. And so I, I'm hoping that we can sort of cement a little bit more of a foothold in the game of possession and keep it a bit closer to 50-50 just because, again, the size of the pitch. If we're sprinting around the pitch for 90 minutes with the injuries mounting up, we're already paper thin in a lot of positions. If we lose another player or two, it's going to be really, really dark. Um, on the injury front, we did have an update from Big Dunk today. It looks like Seamus, Yeri Mina, Fabian Delph, and Theo are all doubtful for Sunday. And he's hopeful that Luca Dean will be able to play. I think, yeah, if Leighton Baines is thrown in, it will, that'll be a really, really interesting uh, because we haven't seen him in so long. Presumably he's been doing all right in training. And we know that he's a lead club legend, arguably, and, and one of our most consistent players for the last decade plus. But I would still have concerns if he's if he's our option, just because obviously at his age, the pace isn't necessarily there. And like Jacob said, man, you have pace to burn. So that could create some problems. Um, Let's talk about the expected lineup. So what are we looking to see? Are we are we expecting the 4-4-2? Are we expecting something a little bit different? What I don't think anyone has a really good finger on what Duncan Ferguson's managerial philosophy is. So I think in, in some ways we're kind of grasping at straws right now. But we'll start with Jacob this time. Jacob, what do you expect to see for a lineup come Sunday morning when when the lineup finally drops? I'm thinking we're probably going to see something similar in the lineup. I'm one of those that I keep insisting I would love to see Moise Keane given a mm-hmm. shot up top, especially in a 4-4-2. Four, four, 
But if he's going to go with Dominique Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up top in a 4-4-2, I'm fine with that just because Dominique Calvert-Lewin did score two goals against Chelsea. But otherwise, I think barring injuries, we'll probably see similar to Chelsea with Sigurdsson and Davies in midfield and then a back four of Holgate, Keane, Sidibe, and either Baines or Dean, depending on fitness concerns. Yeah, that pretty much echoes my sentiment. I agree, right? I th- I think he's going to stick with the flat-ish 4-4-2, and that's only because with the minimal amount of time that he's had to implement it, on top of the fact that we did win emphatically against Chelsea at home using the same setup, I think it only makes sense to stick with it. I mean, he himself, he himself, Duncan Ferguson, doesn't have anything to lose. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it yet. Obviously, that's figurative because it's broke as a whole, just not not just not the lineup this week, right? um but either way in terms of lineup itself i want to see richie and richard i mean excuse me richie and dominic calvert lewin start up top again with theo out i think that's a really big problem for us because i know james and i have talked about it a little bit on the on the podcast but theo has been a really solid player this year when he's been able to feature on the right hand side i mean honestly though he's been he's been getting himself into really good positions as usual. He's been offering a lot of pace. His defensive work rate is always really good. He was involved in in build up to a couple goals last weekend. And so that brings a question mark for me. Bernard has been eased in recently, but that might leave us with Bernard and Awobi on the wings, which I really don't like in a flat 4-4-2, only because I think that one of them is going to have to be shoehorned to the right. Awobi is not good on either ring wing if we're going to be honest and we know that bernard is not nearly as strong on the right hand side so i think i think that might make it a lose-lose situation without theo um but central midfield pretty much no new options back line again pretty much no new options possibly one less if luca dean can't make it i agree with both of you largely i think his hand on i think his hands basically forced with the lineup and we talked about it with ryan post-match again we have no depth in midfield at the moment so it's going to have to be. You'll probably see Morgan Schneiderlin and Gilfie Sigurdsson start. Could be a potential shout for Tom Davis. For me, I would like to see a four, like a four-four-two, but with a diamond in midfield, where you have Morgan Schneiderlin sitting deep. Maybe put Richarlison out at left mid, and then um, perhaps Alex Awobi out on the right. And then again, like Jacob said, I've been beating this drum a while. I know Alex is not as in favor of it. But Moise Keane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top, I think, would be really dangerous, especially if we're going to look to get up and attack with pace like we saw against Chelsea. So for me, it would be uh, the back line if Dean's fit, of course. And then Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, Jabril Sidibe. Really interesting stat. Uh, Again, a chart from our Discord chat today. Um, Jabril Sidibe has the most successful tackles per 90 minutes with a minimum of 40 attempted tackles this season of anyone in the league. And, he, and on top of that, not only you know is he going into or getting a lot of successful tackles, but he has the second highest tackle success rate behind Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So throwing himself about, getting, in, getting himself into a lot of uh, tackles and then winning those tackles is really impressive. And I think he, he might be flying a bit under the radar given that he was pulled so early in the derby. But he's, he's come in and really cemented, I think, his spot even when Seamus Coleman's fit, I, I think it's going to be kind of tough for him to work his way back into the side. So again, Jabril Sidibe on the right hand, he'll be matched up with Marcus Rashford. He did a great job of shutting down Christian Pulisic versus Chelsea. 
whether he can do the same versus Rashford, who's on a really, really good run of form, I remains to be seen. But I feel more confident with our right-hand side than I do with our, with our left at the moment, given the injury concerns. Um, and then in midfield, yeah, Schneiderlin deep. Put uh, put Richie out on the left, maybe a will be out on the right, even though that's probably not ideal. And then, yeah, Gilfie Sigurdsson, not his best game on, on Sunday, but he did work really hard. And I'd have a hard time putting Tom Davis in for that that position if you're looking for that kind of two-man central midfield. I don't think he really fits all that well. I think he's more accustomed to playing maybe as a third central midfielder. So that's what I'm going to go with. I, I don't really know. I think you're probably, both of you are more inclined uh, to be accurate, just keeping it the same. But who knows? I mean, I, th- I think it's kind of a wild card on Sunday with having the the full week to kind of switch things up and get, get a fresh perspective and a new manager in. Yeah, and on Morgan Schneiderlin, I, I, for me, not his biggest fan, but I think it has to be said for that Chelsea game on Saturday, he played one of his best games that he's had at Everton. And I think it's something has to be said for the sheer amount of running and the sheer amount of tackles that he put in in that midfield. Yeah, well, see, you know why? Because Morgan Schneiderlin was asked to do what he does best, and that was shield the back line and distribute as quickly as possible, whether that's close or far, right? And so that's what he did. I mean, shield the back line and recycle possession. I mean, you just you just have to play to players' strengths. And I think sometimes managers kind of miss that. Obviously, it's not as simple as putting 11 players on the pitch and then being able to tailor the tactics to every single player. But but that that is, I think, a very easy explanation for why he did so well, Poss- possibly also because the manager bounce, understanding that he's playing for his, he's probably playing for his career at Everton moving forward with whoever comes in now. So it's important for that as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, boys, let's uh, let's wrap things up. I think we're both, we've all talked ourselves into a, a little bit of optimism going into the match. So this is where we put our money where our mouth is. As Jacob is our guest, we'll throw it to him first for a score prediction. Jacob, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with 1-1. One, one. We're going to get a draw. We're going to get a point. Man, I'm, I swear to you, I was going 1-1. One, one. Um, <laughs> I think, and, and I'm going to stick with it. Usually I don't, I don't want to stick with it, but to be honest, I feel pretty strongly about the one, one. And I only say that because I feel that with the three goals we scored against Chelsea, you know, with, with the, with the manager uh, bounce and the fact that it was two of our forwards that scored the three goals where Charleston's been in really good form. He's got three in his last three. I think that we're, it's pretty probable that we can score a goal. However, I also think it's very probable that Manchester United will score that we will concede However, I, I just I feel like generally speaking, our defense, conversely, has been pretty good in open play. And and as you said, James, they're not a ginormous team. Therefore, maybe maybe set pieces won't be an issue. It'll be interesting. I am still not hundred percent sold on Duncan Ferguson, and and frankly, this current squad of players, whether we're able to kind of keep this positive trend up, I think the win Saturday will have done a ton for our confidence. But going away to Old Trafford is never easy, and our record there is really, really poor, pretty abysmal. Um, that said, United have only kept one clean sheet in their last seven games, and that was today against AZ Alkmaar. Um, so they're prone to concede goals. And I think with the form that Richarlison is in, with the form Calvert-Lewin is in, who scored five in his last 10, I believe, which is a pretty good return given how the biggest critique of him largely in an Everton shirt has been that he doesn't score. He does everything else really well. 
So for me, I'm I'm still not totally sold. And frankly, I'm going to predict a loss just because we predicted a loss versus Chelsea and it came out the other direction. So I think it's almost good luck to predict a loss in this case. I'm going to go with a 2-1 loss. But deep down, I'm really thinking we got a good shot at winning this. So I'm really looking forward to Sunday. I hope everyone else out there is as well. Catch us post-match with our reaction and and all of that good stuff, summing everything up for you guys. Thank you, Jacob, so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to plug your Twitter right now, you can do so. Oh, I am at RichieJacob625 on Twitter if you'd like to give me a follow. Yeah, check him out. Check out his stuff for the Toffee Blues, our good friends over there. And until next time, guys, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.